In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Through the grace of God, we will study tonight chapter 4 from the first letter of St. Paul to uh, Thessalonica. Thessalonica is part from Greece and after St. Paul left them abruptly because of the persecution, St. Paul was concerned about them. That's why he sent to them uh, Timothy in order to know their news and also to confirm them in their faith. And news and, and Timothy brought good news back to St. Paul how they are steadfast in their faith during the time of persecution. So St. Paul sent this letter to encourage them, support them, and also to share with them that he is uh, very happy and joyful to hear that they were steadfast during the time of persecution. And he concluded chapter 3 by saying, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So he concluded chapter 3 by praying for them that the Lord may establish their hearts uh, blameless and in holiness in the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a very good prayer that all of us, we need it. We need that the Lord may establish our heart without blame and in holiness in his coming so that we may go with him joyfully to the kingdom of heaven. In this chapter, St. Paul actually elaborated more about how they will be established in holiness and without blame in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he spoke about four points. That we need to walk in holiness, we need to walk in love, we need to walk in diligence, and also we need to walk in hope. So, by walking in holiness, walking in love, walking in diligence, and walking in hope, our hearts will be established in holiness and without blame in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read the first few verses from chapter 4. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. St. Paul here is telling them, I am urging you and I am exhorting you in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean in the Lord Jesus Christ? It means 
I am speaking to you by the authority as the apostle of God, by the authority of God. So my words to you are not my words, but the words of the Holy Spirit. So this commandment and this exhortation is from God, not from me. And also when he said, in the Lord Jesus Christ, means I'm speaking to you by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave me this authority to be his apostles, his apostles. That you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Abound more and more. Actually, we should always grow in what we hear and what we receive from our spiritual fathers. So, the teaching that we receive or the teaching that we read or the instructions that we learn, we should abound in it more and more. The sign of life is growth. If you have a plant and this plant is not growing, this means this plant is dead. But if this plant is growing, then it is alive. That's why if we are alive, we need to grow every day in the commandments and in the teaching that we received. So he told them that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us. Received from us, this word reflects the spirit of discipleship. The believers are disciples of their spiritual father, and they learn from them. They are disciplined by them. They receive from them the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And also, uh, this refers to the apostolic tradition that we received from God through, uh, through the apostles, and we keep it until today. As you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. How, to, how you ought to walk and to please God, we need to walk in a way worthy of the calling with which we are called. We are called to be separate from the people, from the world. We are called to grow in his likeness and in his image. We are called to live according to his holy commandments. We are called to live by the grace of God. That's why St. Paul is telling them, I urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you abound more and more in the things that you learned from us, how you walk and please God. How you walk and please God. We cannot please God unless if we kept his commandment and we walked according to his commandment. Verse 2, For you know what commandments we give you through the Lord Jesus. For you know what commandments we give you through the Lord Jesus. Through the Lord Jesus again means through the power of the Lord Jesus. Through the authority that we received from the Lord. So these commandments that we give you, not our commandments, but the commandments of God, as we received them from God, actually would deliver these commandments to you. For you know what commandments 
we give you through the Lord Jesus. As listeners, as disciples, we need to pay attention to these commandments because these are words of God. Many people actually, they don't listen or they don't pay attention to the teaching. You may attend, for example, the service of the liturgy. And after the liturgy, you, uh, if somebody asks you about the reading, you are not paying attention. But here St. Paul is telling them, for you know what commandments we gave you. Do we know what commandments God gave us every day, every liturgy, every spiritual gathering we attend in the church or we not? Or we don't know? So as believers, as disciples, we should pay attention to the commandment. Then we take this commandment very, very seriously and we grow and abound more and more in these commandments. Verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Many people ask, what is the will of God in my life? What is the will of God in my life? St. Paul actually summarizes the will of God in one word, your sanctification. So if you are confused about a decision in your life and you are not sure whether you should go this way or go that way, ask yourself, is this for my sanctification or not? Is this help me to be holy and to be sanctified or not? What does it mean, sanctification? Sanctification means to be separate from the rest of the world. Actually, the word holy means to separate, to separate. When we say we consecrate this vessel or we consecrate this church, this means we separate this church from the rest of the world and we dedicate it to the name of God. So, if you are sanctified to God, this means you are dedicated to him. You are separate from the rest of the world. And you are living a holy life. Living a life with no sin. With no sin. This is the will of God, your sanctification. St. Paul actually, after he said, this is the will of God, your sanctification, he starts very broad by saying sanctification is a broad term. But now he will go he will narrow it little by little. And he will focus on one point here which is a sexual immorality. So although he was speaking in general about every sin and all sins, but in particular Saint Paul is emphasizing the importance of living in purity, life of purity. That's why he said this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. You should abstain from sexual immorality. It is very important to live a holy and a godly life. Because as we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, without holiness, we cannot see God. Without holiness, we cannot see God. And St. Paul now is focusing on one point, which is to abstain from sexual immorality in all its forms. In all its forms. 
Why? Because God cannot dwell in a heart that is not pure. Sexual immorality defiles our heart and make our heart not suitable for the dwelling of God. We read in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So in order to be able to see God, in order for God to be able to dwell in your heart, your heart should be pure. That's why we should uh, abstain from all the forms of sexual immorality. And now St. Paul actually will try to, to narrow it again. After he spoke very broad about you, that's the will of God, your sanctification. He said in particular, this is the will of God to abstain from sexual immorality. And then is going to a more uh, specific point when he said that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So, in particular, you need to know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. What does it mean, your own vessel? The church has actually uh, interpreted this word whether it refers to your own body or refers to your own spouse. And actually there is no difference between these two interpretations. Because in marriage, the two shall become one body. So if the two shall become one body, then after marriage, your body and the body of your spouse is your body. And here St. Paul is saying how to know, how to, uh, to should know, how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You should know that your body is the temple of God. Your body is like the church. Your body actually is consecrated by the holy oil, Myron, by the holy chrism, exactly as we consecrate the church or the holy vessels of the altar. St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, that your body is the temple for the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit abides in you? So you need to respect your body and to possess your body in sanctification and in honor. Don't uh, despise your body. Don't defile your body. A person who doesn't keep the purity of his body, actually he is defiling his body and defiling the temple of God, which is your body. In the same way, uh, St. Paul, this verse, again, we can understand it about the intimate relationship between the husband and the wife. How to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, 
not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So, unfortunately, the non-believers and those who are not truly Christian uh, accept some practices in the intimate relationship between the husband and wife as acceptable and as normal. But these practices are not normal. And that's why are not acceptable and not pleasing God. That's why St. Paul was referring here to such uh, abnormal practices and saying, we as children of God, we know God. And that's why in, in, in the relationship, we, we need to possess one another in sanctification and in honor. This is the exact verse that St. Paul mentioned in Hebrews chapter uh, 13 and said, uh, let the bed not be defiled. And many people may wonder how uh, the bed of marriage can be defiled because not all the forms of practices that the world introduced to us are acceptable. Not all of them are godly. Not all of them are normal. And we should not uh, imitate the Gentiles who do not God in such practices, but we should possess uh, one another, as St. Paul said, uh, in sanctification and honor. St. Paul gave many reasons why we, should, we shouldn't walk in passion of lust like the Gentiles. He said, number one, our bodies are different than the bodies of the Gentiles who do not know God. Because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But the Gentiles who do not know God, the Gentiles here refer to the non-believers. The non-believers here, the Holy Spirit does not dwell in them. We received the Holy Spirit in the sacrament of uh, chrismation. But the non-believer did not receive the Holy Spirit. That's why your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you should possess your own vessel, your body, in sanctification and in honor. Also, you know God, but they do not know God. You know God means you have the grace of God in your heart. And you are walking in the fear of God. That's why you should uh, possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. The knowledge of God is life. The knowledge of God gives you grace and gives you power. Purify your heart and sanctify your body. That's why you should be different than the Gentiles. Uh, and we as Christians, we, our love to one another is the agape love, not the eros love. The eros love is the lustful love. The love that receives only, it is a selfish love. But the agape love is the love that is unconditional, limitless, willful, and uh, gives all the time. It's a sacrificial love. So the love between the husband and the wife is agape love, not eros. But the Gentiles, they don't understand the depth of agape love. 
but they, that's why they, they are full of lust, which is uh, called eros. So St. Paul here starts by saying, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification in particular, you need to abstain from all forms of sexual immorality. And then St. Paul said, but in particular, you need to know how to possess your own vessel in uh, sanctification and honor. So here, St. Paul is speaking about how to be disciplined in uh, the intimate relationship and also in, uh, in, in, in respecting your body as a temple of God and the vessel of God. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And then he, he spoke about another point that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. So St. Paul here is saying, when you look at your brother's uh, wife with lustful eyes, or to lust after her. And this goes for, for both spouses. He's saying this is as if you are taking advantage of and you are defrauding your brother in this matter. And St. Paul here is reminding us with the 10th commandment, the 10th commandment from the 10th commandment. The 10th commandment is not to desire uh, your uh, brother or, or, or his, uh, his wife or his position, etc. So we as children of God, we should be uh, respectable to one another. Don't harm one another. And actually, when we lust after one another, uh, this may damage and harm the marriage of the other. That's why as children of God, we should protect and keep the sanctity of the marriage, and we keep the sanctity of not only our marriage, but the marriage of others. And brother here doesn't mean biological brother, but all our brethren in, in Christ. And St. Paul actually is giving some reason why we should not take advantage or defraud one another in this matter. He said, number one, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. The Lord is the avenger of all such. And all of us, we recall uh, the sin of David and how God sent Nathan to rebuke David. And when David admitted and confessed his sin and said, I have sinned against the Lord, Nathan told him, the Lord forgive you. So he gave him forgiveness. But Nathan told him, the sword will not depart from your house, and the child will die. And also, uh, as you did this with the wife of Uriah, the same will be done with your wives. So forgiveness here did not uh, save David from the consequences of his sin. Although God forgave him, but uh, David had to suffer the consequences of his sin. And that's why St. Paul said, 
because God is avenger of all such. And he told them, as we also forewarned you and testified. Most probably, uh, when he forewarned them, he mentioned to them the story of David and how God was avenger of this sin. He gave another reason why we should not take advantage of one another and why we should not defraud our brethren by saying, for God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. You are called to live a holy life. You are called to live in sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That's why we need to be very, very careful lest we defile our hearts and also we defile others by our lust and our sin. And the third reason that St. Paul gave that if you reject this teaching as if you are rejecting God himself by saying, therefore, he who rejects this does not reject a man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So if you reject this teaching, you are rejecting God because God gave us the Holy Spirit and God gave us the Holy Spirit to sanctify uh, our bodies. When we reject this teaching and we live in impurity, as if we are uh, casting the Holy Spirit away from our hearts, we're asking him to leave us, so we are rejecting God. Because the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in a heart that is uh, defiled or that's impure. So if you reject the teaching of abstaining from sexual immorality, as if you are rejecting God, because if you accept to live in sexual immorality, this means you are asking the Holy Spirit to leave your heart. So, St. Paul gave four reasons here. Number one, God is avenger of all such. Number two, God did not call us to uncleanness, but in sanctification. Number three, if you reject this, as if you are rejecting God. And number four, God gave us the Holy Spirit to dwell in our heart and to sanctify our heart. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you reject this teaching as if you are asking the Holy Spirit to depart from your heart. This is the will of God, your sanctification. These words are not only for the married people, but also for the youth. For the youth who also many times don't keep the purity of their bodies. And when I speak about the purity of, of my body, it's not only about uh, sexual immorality, but about uh, defiling your body with drinking or with dancing or with drugs. All these activities, it is against your body. You are, by, by such practices, you are killing your body. So you are not walking in holiness or in sanctification as God called you. Uh, and I remember uh, Bishop Musa used to say to the youth, there are four Ds leads to a fifth D. The four Ds are drinking, drugs, dating, and dancing. And these four Ds lead to a fifth D, which is death, lead to spiritual death. 
So we need to be careful. This is the will of God, your sanctification to abstain from sexual immorality and to walk in holiness because God called us to walk in holiness. In these eight verses, St. Paul spoke about the first uh, way how to uh, be blameless in the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to walk in holiness, to walk in holiness. Number two, to walk in love, to walk in love. Verse 9 and 10. He said, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. This is very beautiful that the people in Thessaloniki already practicing and living this agape with one another. It's very beautiful that they love one another. And this is in itself a testimony. As the Lord Jesus Christ told us, thus, thus the world know you are my disciples if you love one another. So when we love one another, this is in itself a testimony that we are the children of God. By loving one another, this is a testimony that we are children of God. St. Paul is telling them, you don't need me to remind you or to tell you about this. You are already living and walking in such love as you are taught from God. What does it mean? Taught by God. St. Paul is speaking here about the teachings that we receive directly from the Holy Spirit in our hearts. When we are sensitive to the voice of God in our hearts. So, besides the teaching of the church, besides the teaching of the Holy Scripture, besides the teaching of the spiritual father, besides all this teaching, the person should listen immediately and directly to the voice of the Holy Spirit in his heart, but this needs practice, as St. Paul said, those who have the trained the senses. This needs practice to train our senses to listen to the Holy Spirit in our heart and to learn from him, as he told them, for as you are taught by God to love one another. Verse 10, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. So not only they are doing this within their church in Thessaloniki, but in the whole province of Macedonia. When the love of God grows in my heart, it will grow to include everyone, not only the inner circle that is surrounding me, but everyone, my heart will, will be open to include everyone even to include our enemies. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So, although they had no need to be told about loving one another, but St. Paul is urging them to grow more and more. To increase more and more means there is always a room for growth, especially in this commandment of love. 
Why? God is love. And God is infinite. That's why love is infinite. There is no limit for the love. And nobody can claim that he reached the perfection of love. In order to be perfect in love, actually, you need infinite time. Because love is infinite. So in order to be perfect in love, you need an infinite time. That's why here on earth we will grow in love. And also when we go to heaven, we will be growing in love. All the eternal life, we will be growing in, in, in love. And in order to reach the perfect love, we need infinite time. That's why the eternal life is infinite. So, although the people in Thessaloniki already, uh, they, they, they love one another, but St. Paul is urging them to love and to increase more and more in love. And here when we say increase more and more in love, definitely St. Paul is not speaking about the emotion, the philia, but speaking about agape. And when you read First Corinthians chapter 13, you will find love in action. So, love uh, as, as mentioned in First Corinthians chapter three, 13, not about emotions, but about deeds, about actions. As St. John said, let us not love by uh, words and tongue, but by uh, deeds and action. Then from verse 11, he spoke about walking in diligence. So he spoke about walking in holiness, walking in love, and walking in diligence. Verse 11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. St. Paul actually mentioned five things here in walking in diligence. Number one, to lead a quiet life. Number two, to mind your own business. Number three, to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Number four, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. And number five, you may lack nothing. You may lack nothing. The people in Thessalonica, they thought that the coming of the Lord is very, very soon. The early church used to think that the second coming of, of the Lord will happen very, very, very soon. That's why St. Peter in his letter uh, discussed this issue. Because after 40, 50 years, some people start to complain. Why the Lord did not come? Why the Lord delayed his second coming? That's why St. Peter in his letter told them, one day for the Lord is like thousand years, and thousand years is like one day. And he told them, if God delayed his second coming, this gave us opportunity to uh, repent and to return to him. But the point here, I want to tell you that in early church, in the first century, people thought the Lord will, will return again in a few years. That's why many people start to quit their works just to wait for the second coming of the Lord. When they quit their works and became idle, because they are not busy, 
there is nothing uh, keep them busy. So they start to gossip. They start to be busybodies, to intervene in, in, in the business of others, to talk about others, and uh, uh, to be in need, financial needs, because they are not working. That's why St. Paul told them, no, this is not right. You need to walk in diligence. You need to learn how to be quiet, to lead a quiet life. Don't make a big show of your life. Just go to your work, go to your church, worship, spend time with your family, spend time with your friends, and that's it. Lead a quiet life. Because when we uh, surrounded with a lot of noise in our life, this will distract us and will not help us to focus on our eternal life. And when person is not busy or idle, he will be distracted with many, many, many activities and will not lead a quiet life. As Christian, we need to be quiet and calm. God works in calmness and in quietness. You cannot actually uh, listen to the voice of God if you are surrounded with the noise of the world. Like when you look at the water, if the water is, is, is moving quickly, you cannot see your face in the water. But when the water is calm and quiet and you look at it, you can see your face. In the same way, when you surround yourself with noise and many, many distractions, you cannot examine your heart and you cannot listen to the voice of God. Go to a factory or, or uh, you know, a very noisy place and if somebody uh, that you know very well called you, you will not be able to recognize his voice. But uh, in, in quiet and calm atmosphere, you can hear even the whispering. So if you, in order to, be listen, to listen to God, you need to learn how to live in quietness and calmness. Number two, to mind your own business. Not to be busy, but usually when we are not busy or we have a lot of time, we will turn to be uh, gossiping and talking about others and backbiting and busybody intervening in, in the business of others. And this is a sin. Uh, St. Paul actually, uh, sorry, St. Peter mentioned it in his letter. Uh, when he said, let no one of you suffer as a murderer or busybody. So St. Paul, uh, St. Peter put the murderer and the busybody on the same level. Don't let no one suffer as a murderer or as busybody. One time St. Peter, when the Lord said to John, uh, the beloved, after the resurrection, follow me. Uh, sorry, when the Lord said to Peter, follow me. So St. John was following. So uh, St. Peter asked the Lord why he is following. And the Lord considered this as if St. Peter uh, not minding his own business. And the Lord said to Peter, it's not your business, just follow me. And that's why St. Peter learned this lesson, not to interfere in the business of others, to mind his own business, not to gossip about others, not to be a busybody. And that's why St. Paul is telling them to mind their own business, to mind their own business. Many times we like to speak about others or to uh, discuss their affairs, 
it's not our responsibility and it's not our uh, uh, job. Uh, and, and with this gossip, we fall into a lot of judgment and uh, a lot of sins when we start to gossip. So, to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Number three, to work with your own hands. To work with your own hands as we commanded you. As I told you, some people start to quit working and uh, asking others to help them because they were in financial need. And St. Paul did not support this. Actually, in second letter to, Sal- to Saloniki, he told them, he who does not work should not eat. So, if you don't work, don't eat. Don't ask for help. And that's why in the church, if somebody comes to the church and asking for financial help, if he can work, the church should not help him. Otherwise, the church is encouraging people to be lazy. Even in monasticism, uh, monks should work by their own hands. And this is a teaching that we learned from St. Anthony the Great. St. Anthony the Great uh, used to make baskets and to sell these baskets in order to eat from the work of their own hands. So even with the monks who dedicated their life to uh, worshiping God, but they have to work and to eat from their own uh, work. That's why he told them uh, that all of you to work with your own hands as we command you. Number four, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. Who are those who are outside? St. Paul is, is, is speaking here about the non-believers. Non-believers. Our conduct and our behavior before those who are from outside can be a testimony and can actually attract them to Christianity, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, as the Lord told us, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your heavenly Father. When we walk properly, properly, and let our light shine before others, this will be a testimony and may attract them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we can evangelize by our own conduct and by our own behavior. Also, walking properly means to walk wisely. How to deal with the non-believers needs wisdom, needs wisdom, uh, in order to win them to uh, the true faith. And finally, he told them, and that you may lack nothing. When you work, you will not fall into this embarrassment, uh, financial embarrassment, that you cannot cover or you cannot support your own needs and you cannot cover your own expenses and you need others to help you. So you, God give you the power, give you the energy, give you uh, the talent in order to walk, to uh, support your own needs, to be responsible about yourself and you lack nothing. You should, as Christian, you shouldn't uh, uh, lack anything or ask others to help you uh, because you should be responsible for your own needs. The last part of this chapter 
is about walking in hope. He spoke about walking in holiness, walking in uh, love, walking in diligence, and walking in hope. What is the background here? As I told you at the beginning, uh, during the time of persecution, many people, many believers from Thessaloniki were killed. So those who were alive start to be sorrowful because of the martyrs. And some of them became sorrowful in a very uh, hopeless way. That's why St. Paul started to teach them about the resurrection and the coming of the Lord. And to have hope, those who died for Christ are not dead. That's, as we say in the litany of the departed, there is no death for your servants but a departure. So the purpose of this last passage is to comfort those who are grieving over the martyrs who were killed because of, of the persecution and to teach them about the resurrection of the Lord. He told them in verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. And I want you to notice here how he used the word fallen asleep. He didn't use the word who died because there is no death for your servants but a departure. The real death is the eternal punishment. This is the real death. But the physical death is not death. And as the Lord said, I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is God of alive, not God of dead. So if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead, God wouldn't say, I am God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We communicate with the saints because we believe they are alive. Although Pope Krollus departed for more than 35 years ago, but many people until today, they communicate with him and they feel his presence in, his li uh, in their life, which is a sure sign that those who depart in the Lord Jesus Christ are not dead, but they are alive. That's why St. Paul used the word, those who have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. St. Paul is saying again, we are not like the non-believers. The non-believers, they don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. That's why they have no hope. But we believe in the resurrection of Christ. Our hope is in the resurrection. Christ is the head and we are his body. So if the head rose from the dead, then the rest of the body will rise from the dead. But if I am not from the body of Christ, then I will have no hope. In order to have hope in resurrection, you need to be part of the body of Christ, to be part of the church of God. That is the only hope for the resurrection. And if I know that Christ died and rose again, we also will rise again. That's why we shouldn't be sorrowful like those who don't have hope, like the non-believers. The non-believer have every right to be sorrowful because there is no hope. They are not part of the body of Christ. But the believers, 
when somebody dies, there is, it is not death, but a departure. They are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. So our hope in resurrection makes our sorrow to be different. Uh, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So, do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? If you believe in the resurrection of Christ, then all those who died in Christ or who sleep in Christ also will be risen again. That's why we shouldn't be uh, sorrowful like the non-believers. But St. Paul made it very clear when he said, sleep in Jesus, sleep in Jesus. Those who will rise into the resurrection of life are only those who sleep in Jesus. But those who don't believe in Jesus will be raised into the resurrection of condemnation, as the Lord said in uh, John chapter 5. And then St. Paul starts to teach us about the sequence of events. What will happen exactly at the second coming of the Lord? Verse 15, he said, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord means it is not my teaching. It is the teaching of the Holy Spirit. What I'm going to tell you right now, what I'm going to tell you right now is not my own personal teaching or my own personal understanding, but it is the teaching of God, of the Holy Spirit. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. What does he mean by this? Let's assume that the Lord Jesus Christ comes right now. So all of us who are alive, we didn't die physically here. Who will meet the Lord first? Is it us who are alive or those who have slept in the Lord? St. Paul is saying here that we who remain alive until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Those who have fallen asleep will rise first and will come on the clouds with the Lord. Then we will be caught up to meet the Lord. So that is what exactly will happen. Not the opposite. And St. Paul is saying to them, why you are sorrowful about the martyrs and those who died in the Lord or slept in the Lord? Actually, they will come with him before us who remain alive. So you shouldn't be sorrowful about them. They are in, in better position in a way than us who are remaining alive. They will come with the Lord on the clouds before we are taken up or caught up to meet the Lord on the clouds. And St. Paul from verse 16 starts to, to explain what will happen. He said the Lord himself will descend from heaven. That's the second coming. He will descend from heaven. This reminds us with the words of the two angels to the disciples. 
at the Mount of Ascension. They told them, as you saw Jesus is ascending to heaven, you will see him coming again from heaven. So the Lord will be descending from heaven. And with the descent of the Lord, three things will happen. Shout. It is a shout of victory. It is a shout of, of joy. The Lord conquered death. The Lord conquered Satan to the end. So that is a shout of joy. And with the voice of an archangel, most probably the archangel here is Archangel Suriel, uh, whom we call uh, the one who uh, used the trumpet, Al-Mubawwar. So, uh, or Archangel Michael. So either Archangel Suriel or Archangel Michael, they will come and announce the uh, coming of the Lord. And with the trumpet of God, they used, uh, uh, in the Old Testament, they used the trumpet to gather the people together. So in the same way, God will gather his elect, whether those who departed or those who are alive, by this trumpet. So the Lord will descend with a shout, voice of an archangel, most probably Archangel Suriel, and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then, after the Lord descends, the dead will rise first and will come with the Lord on the clouds. Then, we who are alive and remain, first, we will be changed, as St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but he didn't mention it here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, we will change in a moment, or a twinkling of an eye. Change means what? We will change into the glory, uh, glorified body of resurrection. Our bodies will be changed. Then we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So the believers, only the believers, will be caught up to meet the Lord on the cloud with the saints. And this is the teaching of rapture. Many people hear this word rapture. And this is the biblical teaching of rapture. Rapture happens with the second coming of the Lord. Because many Protestant uh, denominations teach that the rapture will happen before the great tribulation. But this is not biblical. St. Paul is very clear here. And if we also read Matthew 24, you will find the rapture happens after the great tribulation, not before. Rapture is, you know, when the saints will be caught up to meet the Lord on the cloud. So, we will be caught up to meet the Lord on the cloud in his second coming, after the resurrection of the dead, as St. Paul said, not before this. Uh, actually, the Protestant published a series of books called Left Behind. Uh, this about uh, a wrong teaching uh, that the rapture happened, will happen before the Great Tribulation. Then those who are left behind, after the believers are caught up, what will uh, they suffer during the Great Tribulation? So all this series is based on this wrong teaching, not biblical teaching. Here it's very clear from the teaching of St. Paul. And he said, I am teaching you this by the word of God. So this is the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Rapture will happen 
after the resurrection of the dead and after the descent of the Lord, second coming of the Lord, and not before the great tribulation. Not before the great tribulation. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, caught up that is the rapture, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. As St. Paul said in Philippi, uh, I have a desire to depart will be with the Lord. This is far better. To remain always in the Lord, to be in his company always, to be united with him and one with him, there is no greater joy than this. That's why he said, therefore, comfort one another with these words. That when we remember and we live the events of the second coming of the Lord, and we remember that he is coming again to take us with him and to be with him always, this brings peace, comfort into our heart. So the resurrection of the Lord and his second coming is the hope of the believer and what brings comfort to our heart. That's why in the creed, in every divine liturgy we say, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. Look to the resurrection of the dead and the second coming of the Lord, the life of the age to come. These two things are the source of comfort for all of us. So what is the sequence of event? The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, voice of an archangel, trumpet. Then the dead will rise first. Those who remain alive will be changed into the glorified bodies. Then we will be caught up to meet the Lord on the cloud and we will remain with the Lord always. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.